listening to Fresh Take. You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Welcome to Fresh Take, Joshua Abelman and Marbethnot with Andy, Ken, Yar, Andy, how is it going? Great, how are you, man? It is good. Those uh, fourth episodes of Marvel, they definitely hit. Yeah, this is, uh, this one, I think, I think this is, this is the best cliffhanger in, in any Marvel show, um, you know, just, just to kind of leave you like uh, giving you the, the WTF, what, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, just to, I think the John Walker episode was the fourth episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, Moon Knight, that's when he kind of goes inside his mind. When Wanda, uh, I think she sees uh, Quicksilver, that's episode four. So episode four of these Marvel shows seem to, uh, and even in Secret Invasion, that's when Ben Mendelsohn's character, when Talos gets killed, which is right. probably maybe the high point of the show. Yeah, there's not very many high points. <laughs> no, no. I'm glad in some ways we didn't have we didn't do pods during that that show because it would have just been very angry every single week. I was gonna say the last episode, you and I would have been like, "What the hell?" <laughs> um, my my main thing is, what are you hearing overall? Like, what is your gauge on interaction with Loki as a series so far for the first episode? Have you seen mainly positive stuff, mainly negative, or mainly in the middle? I think it's very positive. I think um, I think the, the the general consensus definitely seems to be that, that you know this is the one TV series that Marvel seems to have a really good handle on yeah. you know what it's telling. Um, I think it, it's very telling as well that maybe this is out of all the Disney Plus shows, this might be the best show in terms of, of having the the titular character actually be the focus of the show. Like particularly this every episode. single episode, but every episode really focuses on Loki. Like even you know, even if you look back to the, the the episodes that you know you got, you know, a lot of Sylvie or a lot of Mobius or whatever, they were never off on their own without without Loki. Um, so I, I find that part you know to be very interesting in, in terms of just how this this series has really been written, where the focal point of the the main character has been the focal point of the show, you know, week in and week out. So I guess my next big question now is, are we about to see a complete reboot of the MCU? I don't think so. I think I think you're going to see, you know, because of the, the nature of this with everything looping back on itself. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you very much are going to see that this is a very contained sort of situation. Um and there's, you know, there's always going to be ways that this sort of comes back onto itself to to continue to tell the story that it it has to tell, not that it could tell. Yeah. Um, what what did you think is going to be the result? I mean, obviously, you know, fans have taken down the trailer and be like, hey, well, there's this shot that's been shown, this shot, this shot, this shot. What do you think the result of everything's going to be? And I mean, and there's I mean, there's so many questions after this, like. I, I struggle to even start to know where to go with 
you know, Renslayer gets killed. Uh, Victor Tiley gets killed. It's well, Renslayer's not killed. Remember when you get pruned, you pruned. just go to you go to the void. So mm-hmm, and right. and you have to remember that she was part of, and you they show that at the beginning where they're talking. Her and and he who remains are the ones who weaponize Elias. So yeah. she has experience dealing with Elias in the void. So and I think in one of those shots in the trailers, they actually show her. You know, she's clearly in the void and you see the purple glow on her. So she's obviously facing down Elioth. Um, So so she's clearly not dead. She's just been sent to the void. I'm super excited. Maybe we get to see, you know, kid Loki, alligator Loki, old man Mm -hmm. Loki. We get to see all those all those versions back again, maybe, um, which would be cool. Uh, But, you know, you know, when you when you say. So the, the one thing that I've, I kind of picked up on that I wonder how this will impact is if you remember, we went from, you know, the, the version that was on the sacred timeline yep. to a version that was on the branch timeline. And is now that the version that was just destroyed, not the mm. sacred timeline, but one of the branches, one of the branch timelines, the one that looked that this Loki was on. Well, the one that Ravona went goes back to to give Victor Timely to mm. to see Victor Timely, right? So, yes. this this is not the main version where she gives him the book. This is one of the branches that comes off of that. So maybe that's just the version that has been destroyed here. Um, yeah. I don't know. So my my theory time for for the day. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, and as far as the TVA, what happens at the end there? Where where do you think all this explosion and everything is going? Well, I think what's going to happen is, and, and you kind of see it obviously from some of the trailer footage, is a lot of these characters are going to be back into a version of themselves on a different timeline. Um, and I think that's like where you see Loki, for example, going and he's standing outside of the jet ski shop. Um, and, you know, that's probably what happens. He has to go back to that location to find Mobius. Now, all of these versions that you find may or may not actually be aware of what's happened or, um, you know, what their impact is on the TVA. The one that I think could be very is going to be very interesting is Ob because yeah. Ob has spent his entire life at the TVA, like hundreds of years at the TVA. Uh, so, you know, does he even have a place on the sacred timeline outside of the TVA itself? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's interesting too. I, I thought this was one of the best acted episodes. Uh, Tom Hiddleston probably had his most memorable speech in uh, in Marvel. He's had a lot, obviously. You go back to Avengers, but, you know, the, the conversation about annihilation is easy, destroying is easy, it's fixing things, right? And you and I kind of yeah. talked about last week, this is still the Loki that never went through the things of seeing his mother die in Dark World, obviously got the image that he sees his mother die in Dark World, but doesn't know the events of Ragnarok. Doesn't I guess he knows he gets killed by Thanos. I think he did see that. Um, but he, but he, he, but he sees those things. He doesn't, he doesn't actually experience he never experience them, them yeah. right? And so I think, a, that, and I think a, that's a difference. Yeah, so it's a different Loki than what we would get in uh, Ragnarok afterwards, and still at the end, still trying to be the trickster to the very, very end. Still, right? Absolutely. Um, so it's a different emotional Loki that's dealing with people, dealing with Mobius, and having that conversation with Sylvie 
I thought was a real standout moment for the Loki character and for Hiddleston as far as his acting goes and really stood above a lot of people as far as showing his chops as an actor. The other thing that I thought, I mean, I think the the comment, the commentary that they give there where, you know, it's like chaos is easy and, and repairing things is hard, I think is almost a commentary towards maybe society in general. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are, we are a, a society that has become very consumable, um, you know, even in how we treat relationships, you know, it's easier to break up with somebody than it is to fight to, to, to fix a relationship. Um, you know, and I think that it's a very interesting commentary on just the world that we live in in general that has kind of been slid into you know an overarching theme of of a of a an MCU show. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I um I also think this this overall just one of the best acted episodes. I think you know you have a lot of people. Sophia obviously whenever she's on scene she's great. You know, everything going on with Jonathan Majors in the real world sucks and the trials next week and we'll see what happens there but you watch him this time it's like he is definitely a pos and again we'll let the court system say where everything goes from judgment from there and then what marvel does afterwards but he is a great actor absolutely you can see why when they picked him they're like we're gonna hitch our wagon to this guy to be the main bad of of the you know the the next the next phases of the mcu you can certainly see that um I, I find it very interesting, though, that we have now seen three versions, three variants of Kang, and all of them are dead. So the, yeah. the, the 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 worst case scenario is this so-called big bad of the of this phase of the MCU. Whether it's you know the Kang that you see in Ant Man, Quantumania, you he who remains, or now Victor Timely, they have all been killed. So none of these guys feel very uh, very daunting yet. I mean, obviously you see you know all the versions in the council of kangs and that's really where you see you know the immortals the ramatuts the all the all these other versions of kang that are the the, the big scary ones um uh, but so far all the versions that we've gotten have been fairly easily vanquished whether it's by spaghettification or killed by ants or whatever uh um, not, not being a dick yeah right you know, you know it, it definitely seems uh Seems like he's not not as scary as you would you would think he should be, but you're 100 percent right in terms of, of of acting and you know, and, and they did you know even the scene where you know um, Docs and everybody is kind of killed and you know you see the facial acting on you know Hunter X Five and and everybody in that room is is just fantastic. Like you know you you didn't have to see those characters you know squished to to recognize the horror of it all because you had this great facial acting by you know sort of everybody that was in that room which i think is is you know it's it's almost things can almost be more scary or more traumatizing when you don't see them but you see the reactions of somebody who's seeing it yeah um and and i think they've done a very very good job of that uh, especially in that scene the the show specifically this episode did a right job of everyone having their point of view on the right things and whose point of view is objectively correct right you have Loki having that conversation with Sylvie and saying his point of view compared to Sylvie's point of view you have Sylvie having that conversation with Mobius about his duty and is he just doing it because you know he's scared that he's another variant so that leads a lot of layers to the Mobius character. And then even everything with uh, Ravona and the other Slayers and their point of view of what they think is right and what Ravona thinks is right. 
And, and, and you kind of find yourself in the middle as a viewer, like, well, which direction do I find myself in for this? Because there's all these sides of how the timeline should be worked and how you get rid of the prune timelines and how you fix the timeline and how you do everything with it. Uh, and it definitely, again, leaves you as the viewer being like, hey, you have left me with a lot of options and potential views of the way that I should be sworn and think about this. When I think, you know, I think the one thing that I find very interesting is, you know, I think it's very, it's almost human nature. Like if you work for a place and you work there long enough, sooner or later, you just basically, your belief structure becomes the belief structure of the company that you work at. Yeah. And that's what you're seeing with a lot of the, the TVA agents, right? Like you, for all the, for the, the B-15s of the world, you have all these other versions, whether it's docs or whoever, that they've just been in the TVA and they believe that the T what the TVA is doing is right. And maybe it's not kind or humane or whatever, but it's, they're doing the right thing. And docs almost had, you know, she's looking at it like, see, if we don't prune all this stuff, this is what we get. You know, mm -hmm. she was almost made, you know, the, the, the mantra of the TVA was almost made to be correct because this is what the end result of that really looks like. And it's not, you know, it's the, is the you know the, the 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 qualities of the few worth more than the that of the many sort of situation right like you know yes uh, we're pruning certain timelines and that means you know millions billions of people are being killed but if we don't do that then all the levels of the timeline could potentially be gone and isn't that worse yeah absolutely so uh, so you know when you when you look at that that those messages i i think it's very interesting um and again, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm really impressed with is, you know, there's a real continuity from season one to season two, considering it's it's vastly different writers. Um, but one of the things that I do find, you know, I think now that they've maybe moved away from the Rick and Morty writers, you know, the Rick and Morty writers, I think, to a certain extent, they, they're so caught up with the idea of time travel and and giving the details of how it all works and all of that sort of stuff that they lost track of sort of the, the, the stories of what's going on around it. And maybe that's why, you know, you see the little, the little twinkles of back to the future or whatever in this. And you're like, those are the time travel stories that I think people like or can relate to or whatever, because it's not some writer trying to be too clever with, with how the story works. And I think that's a, a big drawback to what was happening with the the Rick and Morty writers is they were they were almost trying to be too clever with the stories. Um, and that made it convoluted and it made it harder to follow. And, you know, you, you kind of lost track of the people that you the characters that you actually want to see in those stories. And not to go off on a side, it's, it's totally another day, but that kind of is what happens to has happened to Rick and Morty as a show recently. So. And and I I I I don't watch Rick and Morty. Um, yeah. I've watched some episodes, but I have definitely seen that that um, you know narrative coming from the story. That some of the things that are, are the things that people don't like within their writing in the MCU have kind of leaked into the the Rick and Morty stories as well. Yeah, there needs to be more of a simplicity, and I think some of those earlier episodes of Rick and Morty having a mix of the sci-fi work. When you overcomplicate things too much, it's just like okay, yeah, but you don't need to talk about this. Um, I guess going to the beginning of the episode and then talking about the war that led to everything, I think there's a lot to deep into there. Number one, too, with 
he who now remains is he the one true Cain? Was he he's the exiled one, right? But did he? They said they exiled him, but did he exile himself from all of them? Is what I'm wondering. I think that the nature of this is that he is just he is the inevitable Cain. All the other versions come from the variants, whereas he who remains is the inevitable version that you almost need to have, right? And I think that's kind of what happened in this episode. Like the version that is destroyed is part of the loop. Like in order for the reset and everybody to get back on on the program, that's what has to happen. And I think that's why you see, you know, in the, the right at the beginning where you see him and Ravona talking and they're talking about, you know, Order 42, which is basically them, you know, why mind wiping everybody who's in the TVA. You know, you need to have that happen so that maybe they don't remember that a version of the timeline that they were on and the TVA in general was destroyed. Um, and, you know, all, so there's there's that whole, again, there's that, that Ouroboros loop that is, is sort of the background of everything in this story. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that he who remains is not is not the, the the prime Kang or the main Kang. He is the Kang that has to be because he's the one that basically keeps the timeline moving around, which gives all the other variants their opportunity to exist. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm assuming too, there's there's got to be another variant of Victor Time Loop, I would assume. Well, I mean, again, this version of Victor Time was one, one of the branches. So, you know, th there, there's going to be other versions of him on all the on all the other branches of the timeline. Um, now, they're going to be put automatically, like if this branch has been pruned for all intents and purposes, do they then go to another version? And then this is what helps them. Maybe this is what helps break the loop, right? Because now you're going to have versions of these characters with a memory of what has happened going to a different branch that will understand the roles of Victor Timely and, and how, how everybody works. And maybe that's how you break the loop. What, what did you think about kind of Sylvie's change of heart and now her kind of seeing Loki's version, but still kind of wanted to do things in her own way? I, I think it's good. I think, you know, I, I think too many times in stories like this, you know, whether it's a villain or or a good guy, you know, they 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 have their sort of this is the way I see things, and then they sort of almost sometimes to their own detriment, the character seems to just trundle along along that. Um, and maybe that's why Tom someone like Tom Hiddleston is such a beloved character in in you know in what he how he's portrayed Loki, because he really truly has shown now for a second time how this Loki character can grow and develop. Um, you know, it's interesting that the same version of growth that he got through Ragnarok and, you know, Infinity War and all of that, you're getting a lot of that same growth here. Um, and I thought it was very interesting about how he talks about Thor and he talks about how Thor changed, you know, when he was in exile. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like an awareness of, I know that, that, this is you know who I'm supposed to be, and if you understand the Loki character from from Norse mythology, you know his role in that is to bring on Ragnarok. Like that is his role. So he is to a certain extent the creator of his own loop in in his character arc. 
he's now learning through, you know, through these two different versions that he can be somebody very different. Um, and, you know, he can relate to people different and all of that. But I think it is interesting that in both instances, his viewing Thor and seeing how that his character could change has almost been the impetus of his own internal growth and change. I think it's good when you have that because it brings a realism to these characters, right? Of not just like, ah, ha, ha, I am evil and I will always stay evil. There is real life situations that are going to happen for a majority of people that will change the diction of their personality. Well, I think when you, you know, if you just even stay with the MCU, right? And you look at a character like Ultron, who, yes, you know, a sentient AI, a sentient AI is a very cool character. But in a lot of ways, he sort of has the, I'm a bad guy. I want to destroy the world. I want to have the world start over. Yes. That becomes a very linear character. Whereas when you look at Thanos and the, the logic that he uses behind his culling of half the universe is, you know, th there is a logic to it that you're like, okay, it's, it's, not necessarily the nicest thing that you're going to allow somebody to kill off trillions of, of, you know, life forms, but his logic behind it does have something behind it that you're like, Oh, I kind of get that. Um, and I think it, it's what makes a villain or any character, like you said, more interesting, but especially in a villain, you know, the Killmonger character is a great character and a great villain because there are elements of that character that you can relate to and that you can understand where he comes from um and even t'challa at the end of that story looks at him and is like i get it i get why you're the way you are i get why you see the world the way you do and maybe there's an element of what you're of how you think us as wakandans should relate to the rest of the world there is something to that and that changes t'challa as well um and i think that's why you know these you know, these characters in the MCU and in Marvel in general are are the way they are because they're not just a ha ha, I'm here to take over the world. Like it's not pinky in the brain sort of no, logic, right? This. <laughs> well, and that's why uh, Arius Quinones, who is really good at what he does, I'm sure you're a little bit familiar with him. Uh, yep. posed this, you got posed this question the other day on TikTok that I want to take a little bit of a break from Loki to bring up to you because we talked about this. And I think if we, he was asked, who's the most evil character of these six? So General Zod, the clown from Spawn, Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat, the Joker, Palpatine, Carnage, uh, Reverse Flash, Mr. Sinister, and Thanos. And immediately, before I get your answer, I'm like, well, Thanos is the least evil in here because, yes, he's done bad things, but he's doing objectively something. Like, I don't think he has done out, like, compared to some of these other people, he has not done outright evil terrible things he's doing things in his brain rather try to run that he feels is justified for a better existence for humanity and for the living beings yes it's fucked up how he does it and genocide is never great but compared to these other people he is the least evil out of all of them well you could make a very similar arg argument for general zod right zod's whole yep. the whole nature is to try to recreate his culture his 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 planet like that's that's where he's coming from right his whole thing within you know especially within the movies is you know to to get the the was it the cryptex or whatever it is yeah. um and and to recreate his his Krypton. civilization and, and his his world right um so he has a very similar like 
you know, as, as terrible as it is, you know, the, the, the Joker might be the most just evil for the sake of evil character. It's him or Carnage list. to me. Carnage, it's him, Carnage, Carnage yeah. or Palpatine. I mean, Palpatine, though, like, he grows very slowly and has, like, there's, there's other layers to the character, um, you know, especially, um, you know, early on in his story that are not just, you know, evil for the sake of evil. Um, but yeah, I mean, Thanos and Zod, I think, have, have at, at least there's justification that you can logically spin your head around and say, yeah, I kind of get that. Yeah, the clown, obviously from hell, so there's a lot of evil there. Uh, Shao Kahn, you're not as familiar with, but, you know, kind of wanting to take over Earthwhelm and murder and destroy anyone to get to it. Pretty not great. Joker, I think, is definitely top tier. Palpatine has his reasons. Carnage has shot puppies in the head and pushed his grandma down the stairs. So Carnage is pretty close. Reverse Flash is evil, but he's more just kind of a dick. Yeah. And then Mr. Sinister, I'm not as familiar with as much Mr. Sinister stuff as I'd like to be. I mean, Mr. Sinister is a, I mean, he's a geneticist that basically just goes through time and he's trying to create sort of the, the perfect person, you know, there's a, there's a lot of high evolutionary sort of in his character as well. Um, you know, he is very, very tied to obviously to apocalypse in the, in the X-Men stories um, and his character, but his character is awesome. Like he is, he is the one sort of him and I guess Dr. Doom are those are the two big MCU characters that I am just screaming to be able to see sort of come, come into the MCU um but in both of those cases i pray that they don't just kill them off in the very first movie that they're in because that you know that that defeats the version of those characters like they're 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 the the great versions of themselves that you want to see over and over and over again and that doesn't necessarily play into the typical mcu movie villain uh trope where they're they seem like it's just a race to get one of them killed <laughs> so out of this, who would you say is the most evil? Then probably Joker or Carnage. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, who would you go with? I mean, probably Carnage. I yeah, I'd probably go Carnage too. Because there's an element of Joker, at least that he's doing a lot of what he does as the, you know, as a foil to Batman. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of what he's doing is to get Batman's attention, um, so that you know they can have their the conversations that they do and they can have those, those interactions. Um, you know, you're right. Carnage is very much a, just a bad guy for the sake of being a bad guy. And it, it, it very much juxtaposes the, the Venom character in, especially in the comics because Venom yeah. has a lot he's of layers to his character in the, in the, the symbiote. Yeah. And he's technically an anti-hero where Cletus Cassidy or any, well, I don't know. There, I'm sure there's other people that have done the carnage. I'm just more familiar with the Cletus Cassidy side. It's just a, just a piece of shit. Pretty much. Yeah, he's, just, he's a serial killer that does, you know, bad things for bad for no no apparent reason just because it, you know, amuses him. So, yeah, I would I would say it's it's Carnage or Joker, but you're, you're, you're probably right. Carnage has that. And then, like I said, with, with, obviously, um, Reverse Flash <laughs> is an asshole. But like I said, he's just kind of more of a dick. Like, going back in time, so Barry gets hit in the head with a baseball or, like... <laughs> making Barry's friends disappear so Barry doesn't have any friends. He's evil, but he's more just a dick. He's just doing it to make Flash's life difficult, not necessarily to, you know, to take over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So I thought we kind of hit on that because I was watching, I was watching that last. I found that on TikTok that Eris Kajon has put up. And then I was thinking about that in terms with Loki, where even with Loki, I guess in the Avengers, I think he's very mismanaged of where he wants his priorities to be, right? He's coming off of Thor and seeing everything happen with Thor and being jealous of Thor getting the throne and wanting different stuff for himself. You see that in the original Thor as well. So you can see a very conflicted Loki of, you know, not being Asgardian, being an ice giant, right? And being adopted and not telling and being very confused about who he is and the treatment that his brother gets and the treatment that he wants from Odin that he does get from his mother, but Odin at times doesn't give him that he wants. So it's a very confused child that has, you know, solid parent upbringing, I guess, after they uh, had their daughter. Um, <laughs> and you get to see a lot more of that in these past two episodes of Loki. Seasons of well, Loki. Well, I I, I think that's why, you know, you actually still manage to get, the, you know, these versions of him that is, is willing to change. You know, I think you're right. I think the, the, the earlier versions of Loki are are versions of a character that are just trying to figure out where they fit in the universe. Like, yeah. I thought I was an Asgardian. I'm really a frost giant. I, you know, my, my father abandoned me. I was taken in by Odin, but I was always going to be second best because I didn't real... I didn't realize I wasn't really his son. I could never understand why I was always going to be second best, but clearly that was, I was never going to be more important than Thor. Um, you know, and, and I mean, you, if you think about that as any child growing up, that's going to mess with how you view yourself, right? Like your, of your course. sense of self is certainly going to be a little, a, a little broken in all of that. Um, so I, I think when you, when you look at, at, at the, the, the conflictions that he has within his character arc, it's almost, you know, from an outsider watching a movie, you're like, man, uh, this poor guy has had a, kind of a rough go just trying to figure out who he is and where he fits in everything. Um, and, you know, even in this series, he talks about, you know, looking back on why he was doing the things that he was doing in the Avengers, you know, he he almost talks about it like he was doing it out of a sense of self pain, right? Like yeah. like I I didn't know who I was and and I was jealous of different things and I didn't know why and all of that sort of stuff and that that's just a person who's trying to figure themselves out. And again, I think that's why whether it's Loki or Thanos or Killmonger, those are the characters in comics that you watch and you're like, these are the ones that I you know I'm secretly in the background almost rooting for these guys to 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 see the light or to see a different version of themselves because you can see all the conflict that that resides in them as a character well even with wanda in uh, dr strange right it's someone that lost her children and is desperate to right. have that moment again because she had lost everything she had lost vision she lost these kids she had lost the community she built for herself this life that she had she's lost her brother so you can sympathize with her going through now she probably didn't have to do it she should not have done it the way that she did it on but right. <laughs> uh you know you you sympathize for it and i guess technically marvel has confirmed that she died in mount wendemore we'll see if that's true or false but uh just as i think this week they had confirmed that wanda has died about wendemore now i mean you can't i can't imagine that that's the end of her character um you, you know she's, know she's she's the just... nexus bean Right, and as soon as you start to in, in in bring in branch timelines and and battle world and all that sort of stuff, I mean, it becomes fairly easy. Again, it's the reason why I'm not a huge fan of multiverse stuff. 
you know, the, the consequences of actions don't necessarily have a whole lot of bearing, uh, you know, in terms of long-term consequence. Um, but um, again, you know, do you, do you want to be able to bring a version of Wanda Maximoff back? Of course you do. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Lizzie Olson is, is, a, is, is one of the, is one of the, the, you know, the, the main Marvel actors that just seems to love being that character, right? Like, yeah. I think there's an element of her that is like, you know, very much like Chris Hemsworth, where he's like, I'm going to beat Thor till the wheels fall off if you let me, because I like being Thor. Um, you know, I think you, you see, and I think you see that, especially with someone like Chris Hemsworth, because, you know, you saw, he wasn't too happy with how his Thor character was going you know, in the first, in the second episode in the dark world. And then, um, you know, happy in, in in Ragnarok, it, it, it springs it back a little bit. And now you hear him talking about love and thunder where he was like, all right, maybe Taika took this a little bit too far. And I'm back to being this silly character. And I don't necessarily really want to be silly. Um, and, but, but, you know, you, I think it's because these guys actually legitimately care about the nature of these characters. And there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about Tom Hiddleston and, you know, when he, when he died in Infinity War, he really felt like he had kind of left the character behind. Yeah. Um, and when he went out to, to look at different roles and stuff like that, I think he really realized just how great a role this Loki character really is. And, and, you know, if, if this is going to be what your acting career, you know, if they're going to look at you and say, that's Loki. Like, is that really the worst thing that could happen to your acting career? If you can keep going back and keep doing these great iterations of this character and how he grows and how he develops. Like, I, I think I think at some point these guys realize, hey, you know, maybe I don't want to necessarily be pigeonholed by one character. But there are certain characters that are okay if that's how you get pigeonholed. And, yeah. you know, if if RDJ is forever now going to be Tony Stark, there are worse people, there are worse characters that you could be pigeonholed as. Yeah, he's probably going to win an Oscar this year now for Oppenheimer too. So, And, and some people right. believe that's a little bit of a Iron Man assist award too. If you hear like the, the grander talk of like, yeah, so you killed it on Oppenheimer, but this is also like, thank you for everything you did with Iron Man on top of this, because these awards do come with contingencies, as we know. Well, when we talked about it, when we were, you know, on pods, when we were going through Endgame, and I was I was a firm, firm advocate that I felt like he deserved uh, an Oscar nom for, for yeah. that character. And, you know, very similar to kind of what happened with all the Lord of the Rings stuff, like, there wasn't a lot of Lord of the Rings you know, Academy Award nominations until, until the last the one. And it was yeah. like, once Return of the King happened, they're like, okay, we're going to look at this as three movies, as like one big movie, and now we're going to reward you for that. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's probably an element of the Academy that, you know, is still somewhat very anti-blockbuster, comic book, whatever you want to say. Um, but that does recognize what a lasting impression that that character has had on pop culture and you know the movie industry as a whole and you know if if he's going to be in a situation where i think it's going to be a tie in with his character with his portrayal in oppenheimer he's going to get the push because they're going to say well we kind of didn't give him the recognition that he probably should have had here and you know that's going to be the thing that nudges him over the top uh, a few last things about Loki. Uh, I guess it was confirmed on this at the beginning of the episode with Renslayer that she and uh, he who remains were a couple. 
there for a little bit, which goes back to the comics of Renslayer and Kane having an entanglement. So we maybe <laughs> we'll see more of that going forward. Yeah, and I, I think, um, but but in the comics, one of the things that's very interesting is there's a version of Kang that, that they were together, but then the rest of her character for all the rest of the comics, she's almost kind of anti-Kang. Uh, you know, she she becomes a member of the Avengers at one point to right. fight against Kang. Um, so it'll be interesting if they give her that little bit of a character twist. Um, you know, is she, does she get off of being very pro he who remains and you know i've i've seen some stuff where they're like you can see her looking at things now as and maybe that's what you know as she's on in the void and she's looking to 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 sort of harness Elioth, is she there thinking i want to do this for he who remains or i would like to be she who remains <laughs> i think there's a big part of that and then a kind of her counterpart in this um, you talk about nominations. It's it's a shame that Tara Strong won't find herself nominated in any way for Miss Minutes. It's I mean, I, I've never had an animated character nominated for supporting actress, but man, Tara Strawn is she's doing a phenomenal job as Miss Minutes. And you and I like there there is at least one creepy thing she does every week. You know, for the longest time, she was known as um, Tommy from Fairly Odd Parents or Harley Quinn, obviously from Batman. This is starting to get up there for her most known role. I mean, to to be able to make an animated character in a live action show be as creepy as she is, you know, in this scene, in the scene where, um, you know, they they're basically killing off General Docs. When you look at the Miss Minutes character in the background and like the gleeful smile on its face that these people are being tortured and you're like like, you will never be him was so crazy (laughs) yeah so you know you look at all of that and you're like man like they are killing it with this miss minutes character and you're right i mean tara strong is absolutely you know in in a a series full of great acting you know hers might actually be for the the moments that she's on screen be the lead in terms of sort of the most impactful character in the show. And that's an original character they made, right? Yes. Yeah. And I could see them using her in continuity in comics going forward because kind of like how we saw Harley Quinn and Batman, she steps out as someone that you could do so much stuff with, especially connected to Kang. Well, remember like we were talking last, uh, the last pod where I said, you know, it'd be great if they did shorts of like the, a catch up. Right. So if you're yeah. going to go into the Marvels or whatever, here's like a 15 minute short that's on Disney Plus. And she should narrate it. And then Miss Minutes should be the one who narrates it. It would yeah. be awesome. Like if you could have Miss Minutes and going through sort of, you know, all the other all the other stories and all the other movies or all the other shows and you could have her sort of walking through the, those timelines. I think that would be just amazing. And you could really kind of keep the Miss Minutes character going in terms of her overarching you know view of the multiverse uh a few uh other things here. i guess for marvel this week um on top of uh so thor you talked about thor at uh, thor five sounds like it's gonna happen but no taika has now been confirmed which i like taika you like taika but maybe that's for the best for everybody oh a hundred percent and i think I, I would bet money if you asked taika about um love and thunder that he would be like, yeah, maybe I went too Taika on this. Well, he's already like, said it. He said, like, I had too much control. Feige gave me too much. 
Well, and I think I think the problem is is he looked at it as like, well, everybody loved the things that I did in Ragnarok. The only way that I can do it is by doing more, right? I don't want to do the same. I want to do more. And, you know, what I think he didn't realize is that he had the perfect amount in Ragnarok. And in Love and Thunder, it was like, like, why are you making it so cheesy? And especially with the, and he got actors, you know, um, like, um, like Natalie Portman and um, forgetting the actor the other actor that played the villain right now for some reason because it's morning oh, Christian, like, Bale. Christian Bale I think he got Bale and Portman because he's Taika Waititi and they wanted to work with him but his tone did not work for the Bale character and even with the Portman stuff I don't think it, na- it really worked as well I think when she goes to Valhalla it's a very beautiful ending for her and everything like that um, but their uh, the tone of a lot of directions at the at time even even seeing Zeus I think was the wrong tone to make Zeus such a idiot at times. I think it'll be re I think it'll be rehabbed with Hercules getting played by uh, Roy Kent in, uh, yeah. in the next one. And I think that'll be kind of a big thing of him and Hercules that you'll kind of go into in, in Thor five. I, absolutely. And like I said, I think, I think Hemsworth is, is one of the ones who basically has really talked about it a lot. Like Ray was like, no, I've kind of, I don't like the tone of this. Like I am not, trying to be Thor to be a cheesy version of myself. Like, I think he liked some of the humor aspects that he got to do in Ragnarok, but there was still a a serious story behind it. And I think that was the problem with Love and Thunder is that there's just not the level of seriousness behind it. And as somebody, you know, we talked about it on pause where, you know, when they announced Gore the God Butcher as the the villain, like I was like elated with the idea of that because it is such a cool character in the comics. Um, But, you know, then Taika takes it and you're like, yeah, but now you made him silly. And this is not a silly character. Like it's, you know, you can't do these things And it. You know, it very much, I think takes you back to those original Batmans where you're like, you know, you see the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger as Victor freeze. And you're like, the Victor freeze character is a tragic character. And you made him silly and that, that, that hurts the character and, and the type of, of, of narrative that you can play with that when you make them silly. Yeah. Doing Mr. Freeze uh, by himself as a villain, that has a chance to be an Oscar worthy level film. If done correctly with telling Absolutely. that story of him and Nora, if it's done correctly. And I think, I believe the animated one is one, uh, one for best writing. Uh, when they did a Batman the Animated Show and one of the many ones that they had on there that was beautiful and, and well told. So there's a lot more to be told with that when you don't have to go so gimmicky. So, and I don't know who Thor 5 will be directed by, but, uh, you know, thanks to Tyke, I mean, Ragnarok is by far the most rewatchable uh, Marvel film. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I think I, you, I you and I have talked about it's, it's that movie. It's that movie that you and I both put on. If you just want to have something playing in the background, yeah. it's it's very easy to have on there. And you know, you could stop every you know twenty minutes and and watch five minutes of it and have a laugh or or get in, involved and then be like, okay, I can keep going doing what else I'm doing around the house. Dark. Um, I do think Love and Thunder is better than Dark World. I don't think absolutely. I, there's there's elements of Love and Thunder that I actually do really really like. Me too. Um, 
you know, in watching it, oh, you know, you know, I, I'm as nerdy as they come, and I, I put all these movies on over and over and over again anyway. Um, and it is a movie that in in rewatches, I actually find myself enjoying more and more. Um, the funny thing is, is I, I, and I'd ask your opinion on this. The one movie that I think when I watched it the first time, I really, really enjoyed was Shang-Chi. And it is not a movie that I have enjoyed in rewatches. It's not a rewatch, I, I, man. It's and it's not that I don't like the movie. Like I still feel it's in the top, you know, the top ten percent of of Marvel movies in general. When I watched it the first time, it's just that it doesn't have a story that is so engaging to a level on a rewatch. Yeah, I, I don't. I think with a key, a key rewatch is you want to go back and like, okay, well, this is where this happens, and this is where this happens. So there is parts still in, you know, rather it be Multiverse of Madness or rather it be in Love and Thunder, just more recent movies that maybe don't have the quote-unquote rewatchability. There's parts like, oh, okay, well, I do want to watch this part and I do want to watch this part. And I do feel when I've gone back and watched Sun-Chi, there's not a lot of things like, yeah, I really want to rewatch that. There's not a lot of that. Again, really well done movie and I'm excited to see where the character goes. But for the rewatchability, it's not great. And I think obviously Ant-Man uh, Quantumania has a lot of that as well. Like I, I haven't rewatched it yet and I don't really want to rewatch it. I, I've tried. I've actually tried to watch it twice and gotten about halfway through and been like, yeah, no, I think I'm out. <laughs> I, think, I think that may be the worst Marvel movie. It may be, or at least near the bottom. Because I think I should I, I rewatch Dark World over before that. And I think it's uh, part of it is because I had such high expectations for it. So did you they. Know, you heard the base of this. Really, they thought it was. They thought that this was going to drive people. Like they thought this was the next level. So they okay, right. well that's bad. And and I think you know when in watching it the second time, you're like, there's just nothing in this that is like, ooh, I want to see this again. And for all the the shots that a lot of people take at the first two Ant-Man movies, there's a lot in the first two Ant-Man movies that I really like watching. Oh. Like there's a ton of rewatchability in both, you know, the first two Ant-Man. Especially the first movies. one. Yeah. Which I mean, really, and, and really the, when you like, bringing the wasp in and ghost as a character, like there's yep. a lot that I actually really, really like about those, about the Ant-Man and the wasp as well. Quantum mania is just like, Jesus, like this is just you ruined a lot, especially ruined the <laughs> <a little> doc. <laughs> well, for you, especially, because I know that's a character you really liked. I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, Modoc is awful, but I mean, if this was, if it wasn't for Loki and it wasn't for he who remains, and that was the first sighting of Kang okay. that you were going to yeah. have, I would have been like, man, like this is worse than when you brought Ultron on. <laughs> like, yeah. The, yeah. I, I would be so disengaged on this multiversal saga that they are so lucky that they have this version in um, inside Loki to sort of bring it back to where we started that because if it was left to their devices of, of quantum quantum media, man, I don't I don't see how anybody would be like, ooh, Kang, let's let's get on to Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars because yeah, no this is gonna suck. <laughs> uh, Werewolf by Night is in color, and I don't think I'm gonna watch it in color. I think I only watch it in black and white. No, I've uh, I've actually I've left that to watch sort of a little closer to Halloween. Yeah, uh, are you gonna and, watch it? In you're color? right. I, I have no desire to watch no. it in color. I, I, the no. black and white version, I think, suits what it is in that old monster sort Vincent of... Price. Like, yeah, like yeah. the old, old old Frankenstein movies and stuff like that. Like, 
there's an element to the black and white that I really, really like. And I will certainly watch Werewolf by Night, as I said, you know, because yes, closer to I Halloween, will too, but, but not in color. But not in color. <laughs> no, I just, I, it's like when Sin City, I think there was like a vision of Sin City, like, oh, now Sin City, when we're, I'm like, why would I, that's the point of the movie. Like, it's right. not the point of Absolutely. it. And I, I guess, I get for like Disney, like, oh, it's, hey, we can put it in color, but no, the, the default's that. Um, we're going to wrap up here because uh, I do have a hard out in a second here, but just Gen V thoughts quick. I'm an episode ahead. Now you're an episode behind. I will say the prior episode before the episode we just had this past Thursday uh, with the K character and her kind of for Jean Grey or origin. I've watched the boys now longer than you have. This was one of the best episodes that the entire boys universe has ever done. Uh, again, kind of doing a really cool Jean Grey universe kind of talking into that psyche of everything like that. They, you know, Boys does a good job of parodying stuff, but sometimes does a really good job of telling stories. And I think with everything that Gen V has done, the last season of The Boys was fine, but I felt a little bit repetitive in the beats that we've had. Um, this has just kind of been a complete refreshing to The Boys universe for me with Gen V. Well, I think the challenge that The Boys has is, is it's every story is about how powerful Homelander is and yes. that there's really no beating him, right? Like yes. they, they have to, it's one of the things that, that the DC has always done a very good job of leaving an element of vulnerability to soups. Like yes. there is always a way that soups could somehow be hurt or be knocked down or, or whatever. Like he didn't always seem like doesn't really matter because you can't kill him. Like, and I think that's that's what got old for me in the third season of The Boys, where I was like, oh, good. Homelander is still a dick, and nobody can do anything about it. Unless Excellent. they get a camera. Right. Yeah, they're going to black My one weakness, physically. social media. <laughs> right? Like, that, that, can, that can't be the, the only way that you can, you can topple a, a supervillain. Um, and when you look at what, what they've been able to do with Gen V is there's a, I guess, a, a level of approachability or whatever that you know that all the characters have where there's a humanity aspect to them as well where you know it it, it does make it all sort of seem far, far more relatable um but i think that's why i love the x-men as a story yeah. is because that's really what existed in in the x-men in the x-men comics as well and obviously this is a very much a parody of that yeah, I mean, specifically in this next episode, there's a lot of X-Men parallels to stuff that you see with the X-Men and Senators, especially in that first X-Men movie and in the comics that you see quite a bit. So, and I, I again, I think it was a kind of a refresh because you said like, it just got to the point of like, oh, here's Homelander, he's indestructible. And it's a part that getting ready for Invincible, I don't know if you watched the first season of Invincible or not. Um, I do that I'm worried about when Omni-Man comes back to Earth, that it's going to be the same situation of like, well, nobody can defeat Omni-Man, including his son. So like that, that, and I think that's a thing that we run into with these Superman-like characters where you, like you said, yeah, Supes can be obviously killed by Doomsday. He can be killed by potentially other Kryptonians. He can be killed by Kryptonite. He can be damaged and messed up by magic. There's these vulnerabilities to Supes that he has. Whereas now with Homelander and with Omni-Man, I haven't seen any weaknesses. I've just seen them be OP. And that's great and that's good, but there has to be a certain level of vulnerability. How season over season, that stuff, season over season, that can't be the case. Like, the, you yeah. know, I guess part of the things that you like about Soups as well is all of his weaknesses are known by all of the villains. 
villains. Like, yes, it's like the villains have a newsletter and they're like, ha I found this thing that can damage Superman and everybody knows. So it's not like crypt, uh, kryptonite is only for, for Lex, like all the characters, all the villains know that kryptonite is a thing. Or and they'll they like force get... Santana to do a spell on him or whoever else use magic. Right. It's like there's right. a great comic with the justice, uh, justice league dark against him because there's supernatural stuff that he can't fight either. Right. So, you know, I really like that. And I think, you know, you look at some of the characters that they have, whether it was the, you know, the chick who could burst the heads. And now you've got, um, you know, the main character here in um, in Gen V that can manipulate blood. Like, these are all things that you're like, well, this should be able to damage Homeland. Yeah. Like, like you know, th this is how you should be able to to deal with him. Yet that doesn't seem to come up ever. And you're yeah. like, this is dumb. Like, come on. How many have, times have has he threatened Starlight? <laughs> so many times he's threatened Starlight. Like, come on. Like, have, have some, like, have him be aware of a weakness. Yeah. Because that actually makes the character more interesting. And that's kind of why I, I really like this. Like, the Kate character in Gen V is one that you're like, you see how she's been manipulated through the, the, the term of the story. And, you know, you could, there's a sadness to her character that makes it very easy to, to sort of yeah. almost root for her in the background, even though she's done some horrible stuff. And not to ruin it for you, there is a point in this episode where you, like, root for her even more. There's a scenario that happens where you root for her even more. And not, not to dumb on the boys, because I really do love the boys. It's one of my favorite shows. But even with Butcher, right? It's like, oh, I hate Homeland. I'm going to kill him. It's like, okay, I get it, Butcher. You don't like him. Oh, I hate Homeland. I'm going to kill him. Okay. Oh, I hate soups. It's like, okay, we get it. We get, we get it. Yeah. I mean, even when he became a soup, he somehow still hates soups. You're like... This is dumb. Or Huey <laughs> like, and like, Starlight. There's kind of something there, but it's also like I, 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 I am over shows of the will they, they won't they all the time. It's like we're happy, but now we can't be happy because the show has to happen. Right. Yeah. There's plot armor in this that says that we're not allowed to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I, as, as far as Gen V goes, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it way more than I thought. And then after this week, we'll get Invincible back. And again, I hope that Omni Man and that isn't much like Homelander. This undestructible force that we've uh priorly seen but uh we will see what happens so uh thank you andy for uh joining us on the show it was uh great to recap everything the next week we'll be back with uh the episode five of loki and then we will talk about i'll try to everything. i'll make sure i watch i watch gen v ahead of time next week as well <laughs> yeah hopefully you got that and uh we'll see and then uh just in time uh, for episode six of Loki, um, we will try to have seen the Marvels that time. So we will have Marvels, Loki finale, maybe we'll have some Invincible stuff. And uh, yeah, Gen V season finale is next week, I believe. Nice. Uh, and Invincible is back next week. So uh, there's no shortage of uh, hero stuff coming here. So uh, for Andy Kinyar, I'm Josh Arbuthnot. Until next time, folks, cheers. And <laughs>